is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Happy Columbus Day. No, it's not Indigenous Americans Day, it's Columbus Day. Columbus. What do we know about Columbus? Greg Popovich, who's a nut job and a basketball coach, and not a very good one, for the Antonio Spurs, San Antonio, at a press conference on Friday on Christopher Columbus. You see, particularly in uh, football and basketball, uh, the know-nothings seem to pretend that they know everything. Here he is, hat tip rumble, cut to go. I think the proclamation was obviously appropriate, important, needed, and all those sorts of things, but uh, I'm a little confused about our city and why it's Indigenous Peoples Day slash Columbus Day. Columbus? I mean, he, he initiated a New World genocide. That's what he did. And beginning with him and what he set in motion and what followed meant the annihilation of every Indigenous person in Hispaniola which was Haiti and the Dominican Republic today. That's what he did. He took slaves. Uh, he, he mutilated. He murdered. Uh, and we're going to, they're going to say slash and honor him. Well, that, you know, I got to give the San Antonio Independent School District a little bit of credit because at least they added Indigenous Peoples Day along with it. And that's a step in the right direction. But what the hell is Alamo Heights thinking? It's Columbus Day. That's why they're off on Monday. You know, maybe there's something I'm missing and I'm ignorant. But it makes me feel like they're living in a phone booth and they're educating our kids. Columbus Day? And we're going to honor that. And it's, it's, it's no knock on Italian-Americans. That's a silly argument. You know, it's, it's like saying we should be proud of Hitler because we're German. 
I mean, it makes no sense. It's about Columbus. It's not about Italian-Americans. And so there are a lot of states that have come out and scratched the Columbus Day and made it uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. But in our city, are we we're that backward that we have school districts that do that? I'm amazed. Just amazed. So where did he get his information from? Where did he get his information? Probably from Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. Howard Zinn has had enormous influence on particularly stupid ideological people, and he was a Marxist. He's dead now, but he was a Marxist. And we know what Marxists do to history. Well, there's a piece today uh, in, um, where is this? Sorry, folks. Issues and Insights by Armando Simone. The, let me read this to you. The accusation, which often sound more like insults than rational accusations about Columbus, range from the gruesome, claiming he chopped off Indians' hands for not bringing gold or carrying out genocide, total fabrications, to the infantile, ridiculing the fact that one of his ships sunk, he was not the captain of that particular ship, and they were sailing in uncharted seas, abounding in hidden reefs, to the stupid, Democrat politicians and Native Americans claiming that Columbus carried out genocide in North America where he never set foot nor sail. Nonetheless, we can expect the usual posturing and sloganeering on Columbus Day, as you heard, by historically illiterate leftists and indigenous people, some of the latter being about as Native American as Elizabeth Warren. One should consult primary sources, preferably in the original Spanish and not in translations. His logbook, it's called the Capitulations, legal documents, also known as the Book of Privileges, the contemporary biographies, and especially Luis Castro Vejas del Amarante y Testamento, and others. Both written by Friar Bartolome de la Casas, who as every school child in Spain and the Caribbean knows, was the apostle of the Indians for working indefatigably to protect the Indians from his fellow Spaniards. De Las Casas never mentions Columbus committing any crimes, and De Las Casas did not shrink from accusing anyone. On the contrary, mentions Columbus as, a constant, as constantly protecting the natives from his crew and the settlers. The explorer often had trouble controlling the men under him because he was a foreigner, and the Spaniards resented any foreigner ordering them. In fact, because he was a foreigner, some contemporary Spaniards even downplayed his discovery. On top of that, the natives were helpless, had gold nuggets, and the women and men were completely naked. Picture the problem. Sometimes the accusations insult hurled at Columbus are of events that occurred decades after he was dead, carried out by Spaniards, who worked the natives to death after he was gone, to the point that unlike the North and South American continents, no natives were left alive in any of the Caribbean islands. When he's not directly accused of committing those acts, he's accused of being responsible for them because of his discovery of the New World, which is like arguing that Henry Ford was responsible for all traffic accidents and the deaths from tank battles almost a century after Ford's death. Furthermore, Spain was in a race with Portugal for finding a route to Asia to establish trade. Columbus's expedition was seen as commercial voyage, which at the very least would hopefully pay for itself, if not actually be lucrative. The discovered islands were henceforth seen as trading posts and as a stepping stone to Asia. 
His first voyage cost relatively little. Compared to the massive expenditures of subsequent voyages, Hughes' supplies had to be sent because the climate and the land were not conducive to raising European crops. Additionally, hundreds died from yellow fever. Columbus himself was stricken. This explains the preoccupation with finding gold. Fortunately for Spain, Cuba, and Hispaniola had gold. Something that has to be understood, which is counterintuitive to us, is that European monarchies were poor. Much of Europe's mineral wealth had been sent east for spices, and the silver and gold mines of the continent had been long exhausted. The splendor and wealth that we associate with monarchies really begins in the 1500s, partly as a result of the discoveries of the massive presence of silver and gold in Central and South America. An additional result of finding the New World, according to Wooten's, the invention of science, Columbus' discovery of a new continent, was a tectonic shift for European minds. Hitherto, it had been assumed by everyone that the ancient Romans and Greeks had discovered everything that there was to know about anything. It came as a shock that there was an unknown antipodal continent with unknown people, animals, vegetation, geography, and many discoveries awaited by anyone. Nowadays, it's seen as fashionable to dismiss Columbus's Promethean effort because the New World had already been discovered by the Vikings and the natives. But Hans Seiler clarified it best in From Dream to Discovery. The important difference, give me a second, between the discovery, of course, the Vikings and Columbus, as Columbus helped settle that part of the world. The propaganda against Columbus has come primarily from Marxists, best exemplified by Howard Zinni's A People History of the United States. Anytime that you see the word peoples in the title of a publication, a Marxist probably wrote it. Zinn was an admitted communist, and the purpose of his textbook, which is presently being used for indoctrination in American schools through the innocent-sounding Zinn Project, was to make gullible, naive students hate their country and motivate them to destroy it. It has succeeded, and Christopher Columbus has been one of his victims, nor is Zinn alone in these efforts. Similar propaganda is found in the Huffington Post, The Guardian, The New Yorker, and many, many other publications which have saturated the culture, all stating the same message, all written by smug, self-confident leftists with a colossal ignorance of history. One can also find examples on YouTube. They're even briefly inserted in television programs, The Sopranos, The Office, The Good Place, like intellectual drive-by shootings. That illustrates how thoroughly saturated our society has become with leftist lies. Ultimately, the matter comes down to one question. Who do you trust more, writers for Huffington Post and The Guardian, who cannot even read Spanish, or documents and historians writing at the time of Columbus and witnessed the events? Marxists have a long-standing record of mutilating history for ideological purposes. In the first half of the century, Soviet historians claimed that Russia had invented the car, the plane, the light bulb, soccer, baseball century. In the comedy film, The Mouse That Roared, a group of ambassadors passed the time playing Monopoly. The Russian ambassador claims that they invented that game too. At any rate, the attack on Columbus is not an isolated incident. His statues have been vandalized or toppled, as have been the statues of Lincoln, Jefferson, Lee, and many, many others. The falsification of Columbus's history is not an isolated case either. Just look at the 1619 Project to cite simply one of the most obvious cases, not to mention the CRT movement. All these are actually attacks on America, on civilization. This is not hyperbole. The leftists say so. Why? 
Perhaps Milan Kundera, a former resident of communist country, can best put it together. Quote, the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history. Then if somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history, before long that nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. The world around it, forget even faster, unquote. The question remains then, whether Americans will permit this sacrilege. From what I have seen, so far, yes, they have already. Their only response to this outrage has been to whine. Armando Simone, a former trilingual native of Cuba, experiencing deja vu, a retired psychologist with a degree in history and an author of several books. Greg Popovich. He's not alone. This is being taught throughout our public school system, the government schools, throughout colleges and universities. Think of it this way. Is a prominent person in American history, and of course Columbus is very important to American history, he founded the, the continent, ever celebrated in our universities, in our colleges, in our public and government schools anymore? Are they ever celebrated? Or are they all viciously attacked? They are all viciously attacked. Greg Popovich is truly, and always has been, a truly dumb bastard. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Ladies and gentlemen, have you noticed the quiet counter-revolution to the counter-revolution that we have developed, you folks, millions of you? Have you noticed it? Reading American Marxism, understanding critical race theory, the genderism movement, the degrowth climate change movement, understanding the threat that we face now? and the various actions that are being taken in communities and neighborhoods throughout the country. This is you. This is this program. This is American Marxism. When I started talking about American Marxism almost half a year ago, it's that long ago, isn't it, Mr. Producer? And I wrote it now, wow, I can't even think how long, a year and a half ago? More than that. And turned it in, in April. We started talking about this April, May, June, July, August. It's been seven months. 
in this movement that you and we have developed, we've done it almost under the radar. You can see our buddies on Fox, people elsewhere, in radio, talking about how parents are showing up at school board meetings. About how people are resisting so much of the various American Marxist movements that are taking place in this country. This didn't just happen. You did this. You did it. The other commentators are exactly that. They're commentators. Am I a commentator? Of course I'm a commentator. But what have I also said? I'm an activist, and many of you are activists. Not all, but many. And so you're making a huge difference in the country right now. This Merrick Garland memo, which could have been put out by the East German Stasi, or the Soviet KGB, or what have you, any totalitarian force, and police state. That's in response to us, to you, to this book, to what we're doing. Because they fear you. They fear your influence. They fear what you're doing. Because you're making a difference. Those of you who are showing up at school board meetings are making a difference. Those of you who are now confronting businesses and corporations You're making a difference. Those of you who go online and mock the Marxist left, you're making a difference. Those of you who are rejecting completely what Biden and the Democrats are trying to do to this country, you're making a huge difference. And you're not all Republicans. Many, of course. You're not all conservatives. Many, of course. But you're the most informed audience... You're the most informed readers, and you know exactly what's going on. So when critical race theory is raised, you understand what that means. When this genderism movement is discussed, you know what that means. That's attack on the nuclear family and so forth. When climate change and the Green New Deal is brought up, you know that's the anti-capitalist degrowth movement, that it's part of the Marxist movement. And I want to congratulate you. You get no credit. You get no notice whatsoever. But you're doing this. We are doing this together. This is exactly what I said. If we got over a million American Marxism copies in the hands of people, this would be a movement. It's under the radar. God bless each and every one of you. And I'll be right back. The new American revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. You know, as I listen, and not a lot, and watch, and not a lot, various cable shows and radio shows, I may catch some in the car, maybe not. It's interesting that you and I have been six months ahead on these issues. Six months ahead. People on cable and talk radio weren't talking about critical race theory eight months ago they weren't talking about genderism eight months ago because they were too nervous they thought they'd come under attack which of course we do but nonetheless they weren't talking about climate change and the green new deal as a degrowth movement and a war on capitalism some of them are still afraid to use the word marxism american marxism 
which is really the true identity and nomenclature of what's going on here. But I hope you're proud of yourself. I hope you can take this in. I hope you can watch the influence you have. And I hope this spurs you on to more. Even if you're just reading the book and talking about its substance, even if you're just passing on the message, passing on the, the arguments, so we can confront the, these, these forces, that is a big deal. That is a big deal. And you're doing exactly that. And I can tell when various hosts have read this book, but choose not to mention it, I don't even care anymore. The point is, look at what's taking place here. You'll watch TV and you'll see the race between Terry McAuliffe and Youngkin is very, very close. Which is no doubt absolutely true. Or you'll watch the TV and you'll see the cratering poll numbers of Joe Biden. They should be cratering. Or you'll watch the divisions within the Democrat Party between the the Marxists and the Marxists. That is, between the Trotskyites and the Stalinists. You see the numbers for the media cratering in terms of trust. And they should crater. This is you. This is you. This is your influence. There's millions of you listening to this program as I speak. And you talk to other people. So there's tens of millions of people. Tens of millions of people. Who are now involved in pushing back. Tens of millions of people. This should give you more resolve. Truly. I know the situation is dire. Everywhere I go, people come up to me. I got it. But we're not rolling over. We're not going to play dead. We're not going to be in a fetal position. You're not. You're not. Now, this book, American Marxism, has a lot of answers. And I was thinking about what's going on now with the Attorney General, with the war on parents and taxpayers. Folks, we have these people on the run. If we didn't have them on the run, this wouldn't be happening. So I opened to American Marxism. I was paging through. I said, I know it's in here. I know it's in here. So just listen to this, if you will. And we'll get on to other subjects in a moment. Critical race theory theorists and activists declare that not only is society incurably racist and white-dominated, but there's no point in attempting to Assert or pursue your rights, because such rights really are not rights at all. Why? Because they do not deliver the kind of Marxist egalitarianism and people's paradise, quote-unquote, demanded by the critical race movement. Indeed, rights are used, they argue, to uphold the white racial structure and deny minorities power. CRT activists, like Marxist revolutionaries, stick with this. Here's the point are intolerant of contrary arguments and challenges to their views. Therefore, free speech is particularly threatening to their cause. Got that? This is in the book. Although the focus is said to be on hate speech, which is a term applied to both obvious and offensive racial smears, as well as a broader political and philosophical disagreement, Chris Damaski, Associate Professor of Communication at the University of Washington Tacoma, explained... CRT scholars have critiqued many of the assumptions 
that they believe constitute the ideology of the First Amendment. For example, instead of helping to achieve healthy and robust debate, the First Amendment actually serves to preserve the inequities of the status quo. This is why they're attacking teachers, excuse me, parents. This is why they're attacking taxpayers. Anybody who goes to board meetings and doesn't sit down and shut up. Because they believe the First Amendment actually serves to preserve the inequities of the status quo. There can be no such thing as an objective or content-neutral interpretation of law in general, or of the First Amendment in particular. So the First Amendment exists, ladies and gentlemen, according to critical race theory, because white people put it in place to protect white people and their dominance. Some speech should be viewed in terms of the harm it causes rather than all speech being valued on the basis of it being speech. And there is no equality in freedom of speech. So freedom of speech is rejected. Debate is rejected. You got that? That's why they call in the government. And so I point out, for CRT advocates, counter-speech, more speech, and the marketplace of ideas are all poisoned by white dominance and privilege. And even if you're black, or Hispanic, or Asian, or what have you, or Indian, and you object to CRT, you're viewed as part of the white dominant culture. You've been colonized. Your minds have been colonized. So the First Amendment is nothing but a construct for the white dominant society. And you people speaking up at board meetings, wait, I have a First Amendment right. For the CRT uh, fanatics, they would argue, you have created this right for yourselves to perpetuate the white dominant culture. See how self-fulfilling this is? It's illogical. So government authorities, or for example, their surrogates, big tech, the media academia, are to be in the business of determining what speech is acceptable and what speech is not. Of course, for the Marxists and the CRT ideologues, only one kind of speech is acceptable. Theirs. Hence the demand for campus speech codes, the war on academic freedom, and threats to intellectual diversity among faculty and students alike, and the demand for federal and state criminal hate speech laws. I'm telling you, the book nails it. Obviously, the problem becomes the vagueness, overbreath, and overreach of such policies and laws, and eventually, governmental and governing authorities controlling speech. Page 102. This is another example of the contradictions and hypocrisy of Marxism. And here, the CRT movement, in that they rail against the existing society while demanding that the government intervene to accomplish their ideological ends. I think that sums it up, doesn't it, Mr. Producer? Pages 100 to 102. That is exactly what's taking place. Exactly what's taking place. More when I return. Mark Lovin. Weren't Josh Hawley and Christopher Rufo great on Life, Liberty, and Levin last night? They were terrific. And I really enjoyed doing that show. I really love doing Levin TV on the Blaze TV network. And of course, my number one love is 
addition to my wife and family, is of course radio. And uh, in terms of my profession, I should say. Now I read you from American Marxism, and now I want to play for you just a minute and a half. The final comments I made on Life, Liberty, and Levin in the ending monologue, which it's only two minutes typically, or a minute and a half as this one was, and is completely ignored, except by you, because we are the highest rated um, news, what is it, opinion news show on Sunday night cable, bar none. So you listen, you watch. And here we go. Cut one, go. What we're talking about tonight and what we've been talking about every Sunday and what's been talked about every day is this, American Marxism. That is what we're confronting. I want to speak directly to the Attorney General Merrick Garland. You know, my grandfather fought at Iwo Jima in Guam. My great uncle fought at Guadalcanal. At the age of 17, my father registered for the war uh, in World War II after we were attacked at Pearl Harbor. My family's not alone. We have men and women in hell holes all over this world today fighting to defend us. Our First Amendment right, among other things. Our Bill of Rights. Our Constitution. You think we're going to roll over for you? You think this piece of garbage is going to stop us from expressing our constitutional rights? You want to talk about violence? Our parents aren't violent. Our parents aren't violent. Our taxpayers aren't violent. It's your supporters who are violent. It's Black Lives Matter. It's Antifa. It's your mayors who attack our cops. It's your governors who undermine our cops. It's Joe Biden who allows to happen what happened in Afghanistan and what's happening on the border. You're the party and ideology of violence. We're the party and ideology of the Constitution. You will not silence us, not one of us. We will express our constitutional rights, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Got that, Mr. Attorney General? So there you have it. There you have it. And that's who we are. You know, uh, I have in the past gone to different military burial sites. And uh, you look at all the gravestones there. You look at all the gravestones and you think of all the men and all the women who gave their lives for this country, for liberty. And then you start to read the headstones. How old some of these men and women were. 18 years old, 19 years old, 20, 21, 25, 27, so forth. They never got to live their lives. And they died for us so we could live in freedom. In this country. With its history. With its traditions. With its customs. With its borders. With its economic system. All of which are under attack from within. Those young people who died for this country. And were stationed all over the world, putting their lives on the line. They better understand what this nation's about than the Attorney General of the United States and the reprobates he surrounded himself with. 
we celebrate and honor those who undermine this nation, those who tear the fabric of this nation, those who degrade this nation, many of whom are well off, many of whom are famous, some of whom are infamous. We celebrate them when they're in politics, when they're in sports, when they're in broadcasting or Hollywood. They haven't given a damn thing to this nation. All they do is take. They enjoy the liberty that they had nothing to do with. They enjoy the wealth. They contribute nothing to the betterment or survival of this nation. And they sit back and they attack and they ruin and they burn and they trash mouth. This is why I have nothing but contempt for so-called famous people or public people who've lived in the lap of luxury like no human beings before them and then condemn this country as racist, as unequal. They don't understand liberty. They don't understand the system. Or they do and they don't care because they want to be accepted at various social parties on certain radio and TV networks. The men and women who fought for this country, they don't come from families of billionaires, some of them millionaires, but not most. The vast majority are hardworking men and women, or they've just graduated from college or high school. And they love their country, and they love its history. When you parents go to school board meetings, and you taxpayers, that's who you're defending. You're defending here at home the enemy from, against the enemy from within. Whether it's Arlington Cemetery or any cemetery across this country. You're standing up for those men and women who gave their lives for this country. It's the least we can do is to confront these school systems, to confront these corporations, to confront these politicians, to battle against their policies. These men and women who died serving us, the least we can do is defend our own children from this corrosion, this poison from within, this American Marxism. AOC has contributed nothing to this country. Presley, Bush, the others, the cabal of Leninist Marxists and the Democrat Party, they've contributed absolutely nothing to this country. The vast majority of reporters at CNN and MSNBC, the New York, Post, New York Times and the Washington Post, same damn thing. I'll be right back. Here. Now, broadcasting from, from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Two names you don't hear coming out of the White House when they discuss the coronavirus right now. Two names you don't hear, DeSantis and Abbott. Why is that? Because the rates of hospitalization, as well as the rates of death, have dropped significantly. And in Florida, which I'm much more familiar with, the rate has dropped to among the lowest in the states. How come you don't hear that from the big media now? You know, in my view, in my view, the governor who's done by far the best job in tackling this pandemic has been Ron DeSantis. He's got a very large state, it's a significant population. It's the third largest state population-wise in the country, behind California and Texas. It's an extremely diverse state. Extremely diverse state. It's got so many cities here, as, it, as Texas does and as California does. But he's, he's led the way. He's had a very free state. He's had his schools open. He has his own scientific and medical experts. He studies the data. He's every bit as smart, if not smarter, than all those bureaucrats in Washington, starting with Fauci. And he looks at the data. I remember him telling me, Mark, when the day's over, it's not over. I get all the data. I start to study it. You don't get guys like Newsom studying the data or Pritzker studying the data. Or these hack Democrats, they just go along with the Washington bureaucracy. They don't think independently. And so the numbers are significantly down now in Florida, as DeSantis said they would be. And it's a free state. It is a free state. That is why people are pouring into this state. These dark blue states are depopulating themselves. California, Michigan, New York, New Jersey. And they're not the only ones. People are moving into where? Tennessee, Texas, and by huge numbers into Florida. And most of the people moving are Republicans. It's called mobility. It's one of the great things about this country. And it's one of the things the Democrat Party hates. Mobility. And it's also one of the reasons why they reject federalism unless they're undermining a Republican president. And they go their own rogue way. Sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, and so forth, which are clearly unconstitutional, legal, but nonetheless... As I said years ago, we can do this too with sanctuary Second Amendment cities and states. And people are doing that now. That aside, one of the reasons the Democrat Party wants a national voting system, 
a nationalized welfare Medicaid system, that they want to centralize and nationalize everything, is to eliminate the Ron DeSantis's, to eliminate the competition of states, to impose the iron fist on all corners of the country, and to impose their ideology on all corners of the country. Remember what I just read you the last hour from the book? They don't tolerate competition, whether it's ideas or anything else, whether it's school board meetings. They do not and will not tolerate it. You have two massive states in Texas and Florida. The second largest population in Texas, the third largest population in Florida. And neither of them have a state income tax, Mr. Producer. Neither of them have a state income tax. How do they manage? They're not in the business of creating a massive welfare society, and they're not in the business of redistributing wealth. They have robust state governments, but not out-of-control state governments. That is, they support law enforcement, they support firefighters, they support their schools, they support their roads and their highways and their tunnels and their bridges. They help poor people who need help. But they're not social engineering in these states, for which there's never enough money. For which there's never enough money. These are the free states. Tennessee, no state income tax. There's a handful of others, which I don't know off the top of my head. But the quality of life in Florida is better than the quality of life in California, where you're taxed to hell, where the the price of houses are through the roof, where you can't sneeze without some kind of regulatory agency giving you approval, and so forth and so on. Where safety is really at the bottom of the row because of their crazy policies. So people want to move where they're freer and where they're safer. And that is what's happening. People are talking with their feet. They are moving. And the Democrat Party's answer to that is, hey, let's not replicate some of what these red states are doing or DeSantis. Let's crush them. Let's destroy them. Let's nationalize them. Let's nationalize them. And that's why this big push on this phony spending bill, which has as its purpose to basically devour taxes, devour the regulatory state, crush any resistance, destroy the Republican Party, destroy the independence of the red states making decisions for their own state citizens, and centralizing decision-making in Washington, D.C. That's why this battle is so crucial. That's why this battle is so important. So it won't matter where you move. It won't matter where you live. The impoverishment and the misery will be shared by all. What goes on in California will go on in Texas. What goes on in California will go on in in Florida. What goes on in New York will go on in Tennessee and right down the road. That's the goal. 
There cannot be resistance. There cannot be free speech that challenges any of this. You can see, and the media are a major part of this. If you dare to say something like, wait a minute, I'm vaccinated. Why do I care if somebody else isn't vaccinated? I'm vaccinated. You told me, get vaccinated, I'll protect myself. So which is it? Get vaccinated and I won't protect myself? Or get vaccinated and I will protect myself? Okay, I'm vaccinated. What do I care if the guy next door isn't vaccinated? What's the problem? Well, you can still get the variant. You can still, I know I can still get cancer. I can still have a heart attack. I can still get the flu. There's all kinds of stuff that can still happen. But the percentages are minuscule. They're absolutely minuscule. No, no, no. But we have mandates and everything. The Democrats and the media do not want to abandon the iron fist in the police state. They're on a roll here. Pushing people around, forcing people to do stuff. So you get used to it. So you get used to not having individual liberty. So you get used to doing what you're told. And you become zombies. Walking around with masks, doing whatever they tell you to do, and your children. To be indoctrinated as racists. To be indoctrinated against the, the nuclear family. To be indoctrinated against capitalism. To be indoctrinated to hate Christopher Columbus and George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and their own history. So you can't resist. You don't resist. That's it. They want to turn us into red China. I've talked about the social credit, right? More and more data collected on you. Well, you need passports now. You have a vaccine pass? Well, you don't. Well, you can't go into the restaurant. Now, if you have a voter ID, that's, that's of course, racist. But if you have a, a vaccine passport, that's righteous. So we're going to nationalize our health care system. We're going to nationalize our school systems. And you can't resist. We're going to open our borders to foreigners, regardless of who they are, what their backgrounds are, what they've done in their lives, and so forth. Because you're just one of a mass. Citizens, they don't matter. You work for the state. We need more people here. Who says? The government says. The government says. And so this is a war on mobility. This is a war on freedom. This is a war on entrepreneurship. This is a war on what's between your ears, your own mind, so you can think for yourself, act for yourself, which is what Americans do. Which is why they're moving at a remarkable rate to freer states and leaving the blue states. I'll be right back. in. All right. Here's what else you get with a centralized economic system. Decisions made by politicians, phony experts, and bureaucrats. And just remember, a relative handful of politicians conducting themselves based on an ideological point of view, a theory, and bureaucrats They cannot substitute proper decision-making for you, for 320 million of you. They don't know your needs and desires. They don't know how every aspect of our economy functions. Our economy is very complicated. We used to play for you the the five- or six-minute clip on, on what goes into making a pencil. 
it's so complex, it takes tens of thousands of people to actually pull off. Imagine making something more complicated than that, an automobile, a home, a computer. Imagine that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, who exactly in Washington, D.C. has the capability to do such a thing? What group of people actually have the capability of doing such a thing? None of them. None of them. This is basic. This is basic stuff. This is why capitalism is so brilliant. Because each of you knows better than anybody else what motivates you, what you want, what you need, how you live your life, how resolute you're going to be in the pursuit of something. Each one of you knows better than some nameless individual in the department of fill in the blank. Each of you know better than any single politician. Joe Biden doesn't know you. AOC doesn't know you. They're operating based on their own political narratives and power structure. They're not operating in your best interest for you or your family. We're going to give you free stuff. Well, what are the economic consequences of that? You'll drive up the cost. You'll drive down the service. You'll drive out people who work in that field because they want to be paid or they want to make a profit. So ultimately, top-down, bureaucrat, politician, economic decisions results in what? Price increases, shortages, inflation, stagflation, or deflation? Generally, impoverishment of one kind or another. And so I look at the Daily Mail here. America's bare shelves, Walmart and Costco limit toilet paper sales, while toy companies warn parents their kids' Christmas gifts won't arrive in time thanks to backlog at ports, rail yards, and on the roads. Why is there a backlog at ports, rail yards, and on the roads? Why? Why is it happening now? They're going to blame the virus. I don't blame the virus. I blame the reaction to the virus. More and more mandates result in economic dislocation. In this case, job dislocation. Job dislocation. Before there were vaccines, we thanked God for the men and women, the heroes that were trucking products across the country. They're unloading trucks, loaning trucks, that were growing our food. They were putting our food on our grocery store shelves. We thank God for those people. We thank God for the nurses and the doctors and the medical assistants. Before there were vaccines, who kept this country running? For the police officers, who kept us safe? And now we've said to everybody, including them, if you're not vaccinated, you're out. They weren't vaccinated before. They weren't vaccinated before, but now they must be. Well, I'm vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. So why does it bother me? Well, what if somebody else isn't vaccinated? Well, then maybe they should get vaccinated. 
Supply chain problems that have been tormenting retailers for months are showing up in America's stores. It's like we're the third world now. Because when you embrace a third world economic system, when you embrace a third world uh, mentality, top-down, anti-freedom, when you embrace a third world result that everybody will do what I say or else, you get third world results. That's why. When you do not embrace the principles, the economic and governing principles that have made this the number one economy on the face of the earth, then you cease to be at some point the number one economy on the face of the earth. And people suffer. Around the country, there are shortages of goods on shelves in Target, Costco, Home Depot, and Sears. The issues aren't specific to any one type of good and are down to problems with shipping and distribution. It's not just shipping and distribution, it's production. Cargo ships can't get into overworked ports to drop off goods and are hovering off the coast. There's a global shortage in truck drivers, which is stalling distribution of goods and railroads are also jammed. The cost of shipping a single container from China to L.A. reached $20,000 last month, four times what it cost last October. There are fears that some of the backed-up ships at the point in L.A. will not be empty before Black Friday, the biggest retail day of the year, the start of Christmas shopping season. Some retailers are telling people to buy Christmas gifts now to ensure they arrive on time. There's no immediate end in sight. Biden has launched a White House supply chain task force. But businesses fear the problems will stretch on for months. Task force? I can tell you what to do. Reverse course. Reverse course. Allow the economy to open up. Allow people to conduct their businesses. I'll be right back. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. You know, the January 6th Nancy Pelosi uh, Politburo, uh, which is what I shall refer to it to, uh, it's all about trying to stop Trump should he decide to run again. Uh, The Democrats are all over it. They all are doing their their goose-stepping over this issue, uh, marching in order, saying the same thing, CNN saying the same thing. Um, They'll keep using the word insurrection. They'll keep uh, talking about how Donald Trump was involved in the insurrection, uh, how we can't believe the Republicans would consider nominating Donald Trump for president again. So this is all taxpayer-financed on behalf of the Democrat Party, with never-Trumpers like Kingsinger and Cheney involved in the process. That's exactly what's going on. And um, I just wanted to point that out because I think it's very, very important to understand that that is what's taking place because you can see the crowds that Trump draws. They're enormous. They're enormous. And so this January 6th thing is a complete setup. And we also know it's a complete setup because the people on the committee all hate Trump. There's not a single objective individual, or Republican partisan, for that matter. And some of this bleeds into the media, too. I would say this. If there are public commentators on cable TV, 
or radio, but particularly cable TV, they can't tell the difference between the litigation that's taking place even now, but took place in Pennsylvania and in other states, then they're pathetic. They're ignoramuses. They're rhinos. You know, some of these Republicans, once they leave office, they sound better, don't they? Like they're really conservative. Now, when they were in office, they didn't do a hell of a lot except yammer and give speeches on the floor of the Senate or the floor of the House. But when they're out of the office, of course, they want you to think they're conservatives, and very rational conservatives at that. But many of these are never Trumpers. What's happening here is the, the Bush clan, the Cheney clan, and the rhinos, in and out of the media, are hell-bent on stopping Donald Trump should he decide to run again. Now, they have no sway in the Republican Party whatsoever. None. None. And some of them have become grifters, in my view. Grifters, some for money, but grifters, some for power and fame. But they have no idea what took place in Pennsylvania. They paint with a broad brush because they're ignoramuses, that's why. And there is this cabal within the Republican establishment. And most of the people who are part of this cabal also opposed Reagan, just so you know. The Cheneys never supported Reagan when he was running against the Republican establishment. They were Nixon Ford guys, mostly Ford guys. McConnell never supported Reagan when he ran in the Republican primary. He was another Ford guy, just so you understand what I'm saying. And you'll see most of these people have either lied to get elected as part of the Tea Party in the past, and then kind of went establishment, or they started out that way, or they started out that way. I just want to point that out. The Democrats use whatever power they have to enshrine their ideological agenda. They're not interested in good government. They're not interested in individual liberty and individual choice. They wish to impose their ideology on all of us. So when you look at California, California says it all. Daily Mail, Governor Gavin Newsom has signed several notable bills into law in recent days. They include a bill that will see California public schools and colleges stocking the restrooms with free menstrual products. Mr. Producer, I thought there weren't any differences between the... Oh, in genitalia. So why are we having menstrual products? That's a biological matter, isn't it? I thought your genitalia was a psychological matter, not a biological matter, and there they are, They're going to stock, they're going to compel California public schools and colleges to stock restrooms with free menstrual products. Do men who still have their biological genitalia, do they get free menstrual products too? In another bill, large department stores must now display products including toys and toothbrushes in general neutral, excuse me, gender neutral ways. Well now wait a minute. How do, we, how do we display 
menstrual products in a gender-neutral way, Mr. Producer. Seriously. But toys now and toothbrushes must be in a gender-neutral way. Why? See how sick this is? How minority the minority control the majority? And so common sense and morality are completely out of the window. This is the, the insanity that we're, uh, that we're experiencing. It does not completely outlaw traditional boys and girls sections at stores, but says large stores must also have a gender-neutral gender section to display. On Saturday, Newsom signed off on a new law banning gas-powered equipment that uses small off-road engines. Like generators, lawn equipment, like lawnmowers, pressure washers, washers, chainsaws, weed trimmers, even golf carts. Here's a state that does not have enough electricity, that has brownouts and blackouts. So what did the governor learn? What does his party learn? Let's have bigger, longer brownouts and blackouts. Because now... We want to eliminate generators, gas-powered generators, lawnmowers, lawn equipment, pressure washers, chainsaws, weed trimmers, even golf carts. Exactly what I'm talking about. You're going to destroy jobs. You're going to destroy industries. The result is going to be further impoverishment of the people of California. Unpredictable brownouts and blackouts. Because the governor and his party are ideologically driven. They have zero experience in the private sector. None whatsoever. And they don't care. Under the new law, the machinery will have to be battery powered or plug in. Where are all these batteries coming from? Same place as the chips? Where are all these batteries coming from? Newsom has also signed into law America's first ethnic studies requirement for high school students after five years of debate. That's critical race theory, just so you understand. So he's mandating critical race theory studies in high school. Students who begin high school in 2026 must pass one semester of a class outlining the past and current struggles of America's marginalized groups. Good Lord. Full-scale, anti-American indoctrination with your tax dollars. And the people of California are okay with all this, because they just effectively re-elected the bastard. So you're going to have critical race theory, genderism, the whole smorgasbord of of American Marxist movements indoctrinated into high school students. And... One semester, and they have to get a good grade. They have to pass. They have to pass. This is exactly what the early progressives, that's what they called themselves over 100 years ago, said you need to do with education. Again, it's in Chapter 6 of American Marxism. There's a whole book on it, Rediscovering Americanism. These were really American Marxists, the progressives. They called themselves progressives because that's what they do. They're good at marketing. That public school classrooms need to be used to indoctrinate, to push a, a social agenda. And this is exactly what they're doing. You know, a couple of years ago, my daughter said, we're moving out of California. We're getting out of California because of what's going on in the public schools. We're going to Tennessee. 
Just in the nick of time. Just in the nick of time. But here you have the largest state in the country, population-wise. Every single student who goes to public school, which is most of them, are going to be indoctrinated on racism, on genderism, and hating America. Because the governor and the supermajority Democrats in the legislature are pushing these Marxist agendas. That's what they're doing. Not socialist agendas, not progressive agendas, not democratic socialist agendas, not social activism agendas. American Marxist agendas. More when I return. Mark Lovin. Well, moving to the other coast from California to New York, another dark blue state. This from the Daily Caller. It looks like the third world. What does? New York City drugstores savaged by shoplifters. An unprecedented spike in shoplifting has emptied out the shelves of drugstores across New York City. The New York Post has reported. Looks like the third world, a Manhattan resident complained after inspecting the ravaged aisles of a local CVS. They've all been stolen. An employee of the CVS said of missing toothpaste, hand sanitizer, face wash. As of early September, complaints of retail theft were filed, 26,385. The highest number ever recorded compared to last year. It's a 32% surge in the number of complaints. Cases against serial shoplifters are rarely prosecuted, with the perpetrators typically getting released the same day due to the absence of cash bail. All right, look. You have this January 6th commission, right? There's no commission on Black Lives Matter. There's no commission on Antifa. There's no commission on George Soros. Who's funding these prosecutors to destroy our cities. No interest whatsoever in George Soros. I remember years ago, Richard Scaife. Dick Scaife was a really good man. He was a billionaire. He supported many conservative and libertarian causes. Just a fantastic gentleman and a philanthropist. And he supported conservative and libertarian groups. And he would give seed money for groups like Landmark Legal Foundation, uh, the Heritage Foundation, other foundations and organizations, many, so many I can't even name them all. And so what happened? The media tried to destroy him. Time Magazine at the time, Newsweek Magazine at the time, 60 Minutes the New York Times, the Washington Post, they just tried to destroy the man. But he was strong. He had his principles. He had his beliefs. He loved this country. George Soros doesn't get any kind of examination. He's not investigated by any of these news outlets. It just shows you how corrupt they are. And yet George Soros is funding mayhem, anarchy, and chaos in this country. He's worth billions and billions of dollars, and that's exactly what he's doing. He could care less, and the media could care less, and the Democrat Party loves him because he's a sugar daddy. He's a sugar daddy for these radical movements. He makes money. He apparently makes even more money if the country collapses. Ask the British what happened to the sterling pound. So chaos and 
tumult work to his investment benefit. Plus, he's ideologically a radical. Now his son's going to pick up where he left off. Again, no investigations, no concerns, nothing. Well, that's one of the reasons we have all this crime in the streets, because he's funding these prosecutors in big cities and small towns. Loudoun County, Virginia, once again. A prosecutor won the seat. She wasn't a prosecutor at the time, defense counsel mostly. She won the prosecutor's office by 3,000 votes because he poured a half a million dollars or so into a race that's never seen that kind of money spent before. And so he'll reach into a county. He'll reach into a, a major city. He'll reach into a little town. And they're all Democrats. He only supports Democrats. And yet he gets away with this. By the way, heating costs in New York expected to spike for many customers this winter. Again, you can congratulate the centralized planning, the attack on fossil fuels, the Democrat Party, which will get voted and voted and voted for over and over and over again in our major cities as they drain them of resources, they destroy their schools, they destroy their safety and health, they destroy their cops. The damnest thing. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, So, uh, over the weekend, I'm contacted by my friend Victor Davis Hanson. And his fantastic book, The Dying Citizen, after interviewed here and a couple other places, went to number three on Amazon. That's pretty darn good. In fact, he was ahead of, of uh, Bob Woodward's book for a period of time. Then all of a sudden, the book drops like an anchor to like number 19 or something. And there is a, a statement under his book on Amazon that says, out of stock. And I just looked at his book now, and it says, ships, usually ships within six days. The problem is, Victor's publishers said they're not out of stock. They have plenty of copies. So what is Victor to believe? And I have my friend Victor Davis Hanson with me. Victor, how are you, sir? I'm very good, Mark. Thanks for having me. And it was right after we did the interview with you that the book took off for obvious reasons with your endorsement. And it was it had a lot of good pre-sales, but it was number two, and then suddenly about 24, 30 hours after it appeared, it started to say, um, basically out of stock, soon to be in stock, etc. And it stayed that way for six days until today. So you couldn't buy the book on, on the nation's largest uh, bookseller. And then I was told, well, they won't count book sales for obvious reasons, just not order. So it's important. And people started calling me and saying, you know, I can't get the book on Amazon. What's wrong? How can you not have the book the second day that it's out? So I made a lot of calls, and the publisher sent me 
statistics, and apparently Amazon got several thousand copies, but for some reason, uh, alone of the top 10 or alone of the top 15 books, they were not, they're, they're not able to send them out. So for an hour, they'll say in stock for, uh, they'll say you can get it in six or seven days, and an hour later, they'll say soon to be stocked and stuff like that, but they just won't ship the book when you order it in a normal way that they do. And I don't know the reason why, but it's kind of, you know, strange to, to have a lot of interest um, in the, by the media and book reviews and things and just see it not not to be available to the public, at least in a timely fashion. No, it's, it's actually unacceptable. And um, I just want you folks to know it's a great book. You should order it. You really should, whether you get it in three days or six days. And, you know, the thing is, Victor, uh, Amazon has its own delivery service. It doesn't use the Postal Service. It doesn't use FedEx. Uh, And depending on what type of person, customer you are, prime customer, a lot of these books, it says if you order within 10 hours, you get it the next day. And if you have enough books, that's what it should be saying. So what I wanted to do is have you on and explain to the American people, the people that listen to this program, if you want the book, go ahead and order it. It's not out of stock. They've got it. If you say, well, I don't want... Go ahead. For some reason, Mark, it's not there. And I think the message is one that your audience would like to hear, that we're not crazy, that there's a concentrated attack on citizenship. Absolutely. Destroying the the space by open border. We we don't have a great connection. What I'm going to do is have Mr. Uh, Producer call you back, Victor, because you're coming in and out. So... So they're going to call Victor back. You can hear it, folks, and I want you to hear him clearly. The book has a very, very important message about citizenship and what's happening to your citizenship. It is a fantastic book. Uh, I blurred the book because I got to read it early on. I really did uh, find it so so thoroughly compelling. And um, And I don't know if games are being played with it or not. I suspect they are. And this is the kind of book I feel you really should have. Uh, so we're still working on getting our connection with Victor. And the book goes into a number of areas. For instance, the book talks about what progressivism, or is what I call Marxism, is doing to citizenship. What open borders are doing to citizenship. What the Democrat Party is doing to citizenship. What academia is doing to citizenship. And as you know, it's degrading it. It's degrading it. But there's something unique about the way Victor Davis Hanson writes. He writes brilliantly, it flows brilliantly, and when you're done reading it, you say, he puts into words things that I've been thinking about, perhaps, but in a way that is so compelling. And the reason is, the man is an intellectual, he's a historian, and yet he has this rare quality, he knows how to communicate with people. For years he wrote at National Review, but they had a separation uh, because National Review was, was so in the never-Trump world and so, um, I won't say hostile, maybe that's too strong of a word, but uh, uh, unaccepting of his point of view. Do we have Victor back? Yeah, I'm back. We have a really bad storm out here in California. Maybe I lost you. This is much better. Go ahead and explain yeah, well, your book you. again. I was already explaining, but you can do it better. You wrote it. Well, Mark, it, it's 
we're losing, if we have all this chaos in the news cycle at the border or Afghanistan or in stagflation or this crazy critical legal theory, critical theory, there's all a common denominator, and it's an attack on the idea of a constitutional citizen, and it's a very rare concept. We're very fortunate in the United States to have it, and it's fragile, and it's not guaranteed, and one of the, the ways it diminishes is the middle class is neglected, and the Democratic Party's been the, the party of the very wealthy now and the very poor, but the middle class has been lost in between the two parties until recently. And you have to have a sacred space, you know, for citizens to inculcate their traditions and customs. If you have an open border, you have sort of a migratory population of residents that are not citizens. And it's hard to know what the advantages of citizenship are over just residency anymore. You know, whether it's entitlements or voting or maybe even holding office, they've been blended. And we have this tribalism, and that's a pre-civilizational idea that you judge people on the appearance of their skin color or their general physicality rather than their ideas of their common American. And that's just the the, the organic pre-civilization pressures on the citizen. But look at the elite top-down. It's this permanent administrative state, whether it's General Milley or James Comey or Robert Mueller or John Brennan, these people who are judge, jury, and executioner, and they're not elected a Dr. Fauci, and yet they exercise power that's just completely audited. And then finally, I I end with two chapters warning us that we have been, you've written a lot about this, the evolutionaries. These are people who feel that human nature changes and that they can make the necessary changes in the Constitution and custom tradition. So get rid of the nine-person Supreme Court after 150 years. Junk the Electoral College. Junk the state's uh, prerogatives and national election balloting rules. Junk the filibuster. Junk the 50-state union. Just because they don't have the broad support for this left-wing agenda, so either change the system or you change the demography. And then I, I finally end with globalization, that these bicoastal elites feel that somehow the, the EU or the UN and the way that we used to think the League of Nations, which was a failed idea, is superior to this exceptional constitutional state, especially when we have 190 nations and only half of them were remotely democratic, and yet we would surrender sovereignty with the International Criminal Court or these treaties or have them come in as Secretary Blinken did and adjudicate whether we're racist or not. So I'm trying to warn everybody that there's some precedent historically that we've got to be very careful because if we lose this this empowered, independent, middle-class citizen, we're, we're sunk. And I think that's why we're seeing the symptoms of our decline. And you're an expert on Athens. You're an expert on what happened with Rome. You can put all these things in context the way you do it. I can't. There's a lot of people who can't, but this is, this is what you've done all your life, right? You've jumped into these issues. Yeah, I, I, I have. I wrote a lot of books on citizenship, a book on the other Greeks about the call the other Greeks about the middle class agrarian and the founding foundation of citizenship. And it really is disturbing. And I think all of us are really upset. And we can't believe what we're seeing on television. We can't believe that these issues that have no public support and this administration that's pulling 40 pushes this agenda. And I know that you're trying to make sense of it too, Mark. Is it chaos? Is it anarchy? Is it deliberate? Is it to push through an agenda that then will be institutionalized and can't be changed? But we we all are threatened, and we've got to rise up as part of the middle class and say, you're not going to do that to it. You're not going to change any more names. We were created in 1776, not 1619. We're not going to cancel people out. 
people, we, you're not going to go intimidate people that have a right of redress of their grievances at board meetings. These are solid middle-class citizens. They're not racist or homophobes. But until we do that and get back this idea that the citizen is preeminent, then we're going to be a, a nation of subjects or serfs run by just an elite, a, a by, you know, just an asymmetrical society like California, rich and poor. And there's nothing mm-hmm. here in where I'm speaking from that represents a viable middle class. You know, Victor, I don't know if Russia ever told you this, but I want my audience to know this. Victor was one of Russia's absolute favorite writers and thinkers, and mine too. And there's a reason for this. We come across a lot of smart people. We come across a lot of writings. We read a ton. But some people stand out more than others. And Victor Davis Hanson certainly is at the top of the list. And this book is a culmination of things he's been saying on Fox for the last several years and things he's been writing about the last several years in a way that only he can do it. I want to strongly encourage you. Don't boycott Amazon. They don't feel it. Go ahead. Order. Force them to sell the book and to send the book. Or, if you'd rather, go into a retail store. That's perfectly fine. There's many of them. They all have his book. I've already bought several copies of Victor's book and hand them out because I want people to read it. So I want to encourage you to get this book. It is The Dying Citizen. It is a fantastic book. Any final words, Victor? I just want to say, Mark, that, you know, I used to talk to Rush a lot, and usually there's rivalry in in your business, but every time he mentioned you, it was only an admiration. And he'd always say, have you listened to Mark lately? So that's one reason that uh, I really appreciate what you've done, and I... uh, I think that talk radio, and I'm speaking as an academic that's not, you know, that's sort of out of, out of, not that relevant, but talk radio is one of the reasons that we do have a middle class because it speaks to commonalities and the real pragmatic world in a way that K through 12 education and academia just don't do. So, and he knew that, and yeah. I miss him dearly. I know you do, but he had oh, a great yes. admiration for you. Well, thank you. And we both had a great admiration for you. And I want everybody listening, grab your copy of The Dying Citizen. Trust me, this is a very, very compelling, intriguing, and important book. And I want to thank you for everything you do for this country, Victor, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Mark, and thank your audience for listening. God bless you. And folks, let's go ahead and post it, Rich, on uh, Getter and Parler. And again, I want to encourage you folks, The Dying Citizen, it's a very, very important book, which is why they're trying to squelch it. They're trying to squelch it. So if you're going in there and getting my book, get his book too. I'll be right back. Let's go to the calls. Kelly, Panama City, Florida, the great W-Y-O-O. Go. Hi, Dr. Levin. How are you this evening? Very well. How are you? It's so good to talk to you. Yes, I'm great. Listen, a couple of things. Um, I'm a proud Floridian, so um, proud of my governor, um, DeSantis. One wonderful thing he did. I'm a fifth-grade teacher of American history here in one of Ah. our local charter academies. He sent all the teachers a thousand dollars this summer. Yes, every teacher in Florida got a thousand dollar check. It was pretty amazing. Um, but what I wanted to talk to you about was what you referred to earlier in terms of indoctrinating students. As a American history teacher, I feel it's my duty 
to give kids the truth. And as precious, impressionable 10-year-olds, we are studying right now, for example, the colonies and telling them that America did not start on the backs of slaves in Mm -hmm. 1619. Um, With our founding fathers, we're getting into the American Revolution coming up in a couple of weeks. And it's just exciting. They're so thirsty for knowledge and um, just trying to impart to them that this is a great country and we have to stand for truth and not let them be lied to um, by, I mean, people are out of their ever-loving minds. Um, It's just, it just blows my mind. Um, Mm -hmm. But to give you hope, there are several of us who are teaching truth, patriotic education. We love students. We love America. And um, I'm so thankful for you and for your book. Well, thank you. And I'm thankful for you. And don't hang up. We're going to send you a signed copy. Thanks very, very much. See, that's a real teacher. That's a real teacher. And you know what? They're out there. When I was a school board member, uh, there was a union boss of the teachers who got up at one meeting and said, you... uh, you don't like teachers. I said, no, I like teachers a lot. It's their union I can't stand. All right, Mr. Producer, I cannot get into the call screen. Who else do we have? KRLA, 8.70 a.m. Pamela, how are you? Hi there. I'm fine. Hi, Mark. Hi. Thanks for everything that you do. Thanks for being a national leader. Well, I'm calling you. in from... I don't know about that, but thank the- you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I got your book way back when it was published in July. When it came Thank out you. in July, I, I was one of the first people. I mean, I back back ordered that book. Wow. So anyway, I... What do you think about I what they're the, doing to Victor Davis Hanson? Oh, I think it's outrageous. And after I get off this show today, I'm going to buy his book. And it's a, fantastic. As a, as, a, as a way of showing support. Yeah. But I, I called in today, Mark, because I'm an alleged domestic terrorist yes um aren't we I'm all? one of those people <laughs> I'm, a, I'm one of those people on the front line in our school district good for you and they're well and it's it's pretty amazing because i've never been a community activist until mm-hmm. now but we've been locked out of our school district board meetings we've been subjected to something they call an equity audit Mm. And our plan is to unseat the leftist board in 2022. So now, where pretty, where are you located? I'm in I'm in Manhattan Beach, California. Okay. You um, know what an equity audit is? They want to see if you're doing enough to uh, impose their ideology on the children. The equity but, audit is this loaded propaganda, mm-hmm. and I I actually am, am a researcher too. So I studied the report that was put out by Clear, which is. Um, it's a CRT firm. It was a clear consulting firm. And in the equity audit, they collected all this data. And I looked at everything that they collected, and then they, and they reported it. Then they came up with this voluminous um, recommendations that they're going to use to change the structure, process, policies, resource allocation at the mm-hmm. schools. And they put it into these eight thematic areas that are straight from the CRT framework. Mm -hmm. And I 
I, the school knows what, the, some of the school leaders and the board have to know what's going on, but a lot of other people kind of read it and it goes over their head. Yeah, they know what's going on or it wouldn't be happening. And this is, this is the perniciousness of what's taking place here, this, this evil, poison, racism that is in our school systems now. And none of us are ever going to shut up about this. Don't hang up. Thank you for your activism. We're going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. We'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, where the Reagan Coalition meets every day. Call now, 877-381-3811. You know, Ben and Jerry uh, have been talking about and have supported boycotting Israel, not selling their crappy ice cream uh, because of Judea and Samaria, which they considered occupied territory in the West Bank. And these are two Jews, by the way. So I would argue in name only. That's just my opinion. Uh, and uh, they're basically radicals. That's their ideology. And so they were confronted by a a young reporter from Axios on HBO, of all places. And I want you to listen to to this discussion. It's really quite remarkable. It's only a minute 20. Cut 11, go. Ben and Jerry's announced its decision to stop selling ice cream in Israeli-occupied Palestinian territories. Were you surprised by the backlash that came after that? No, uh, I wasn't surprised. And yet when it happens, it's still... uh painful. You have some loyal customers who think that the move is anti-Semitic. You're both Jewish men. How how did it feel personally to be wrapped up in accusations of being anti-Semitic? Totally fine. (laughs) For some reason, I think Jerry's answer is to be It's absurd. (laughs) I mean, no, I mean, what? I'm anti-Jewish? I mean, I'm a Jew. <laughs> Gee, there's never been Jews who've been anti-Jewish, have there, Mr. Padusi? You know, Karl Marx was born a Jew, but he rejected Judaism and had contempt for Judaism. And there are people like that in all faiths, aren't there? There are people like that in all faiths, including Judaism. As a Jew, I can tell you that's true. Go ahead. Family is Jewish. My friends are Jewish, you know, I mean. Yeah, like there's groups like J Street, which really, in my view, in my opinion, promote the destruction of the Jewish state of Israel while they pretend to do otherwise. They're, they're really ideological leftists, in some cases ideological Marxists. Again, you see this in all faiths. But these clowns, I'm Jewish, how can I be? Not so funny, boys. Not so funny at all. They talk about indigenous peoples. You hear this idiot coach for San Antonio, Pavlich, whatever the hell his name is, going on and on. You don't hear him talking about Judea and Samaria that way, do you? How about the indigenous peoples there? I mean, they go back 4,000 years. And there's history to prove it. There's artifacts to prove it. There's the Bible to prove it. Go ahead. I, I understand people 
being upset. It's a very emotional issue for a lot of people, and I totally understand it. It's a very painful issue for a lot of people. Can you help me understand why this decision came now? This conflict has been going on for years. We're always in favor of a two-state solution. The policy of the Israeli government has been to endorse these settlements in the occupied territories that... You see, you can tell these guys are clowns. Indigenous peoples occupying their territories. The West Bank. There is no West Bank of Jordan. They, they claimed it uh, after Israel won the war for independence. They took Judea and Samaria and called it the West Bank for 19 years until Israel took it back in 1967. We've had this discussion before. Anybody with a third grade understanding of what took place knows this to be the case. And they also know there were no th- peoples called the Palestinian Arabs in these territories until about 180, 190 years ago. Go ahead. Making it harder and harder to actually have a two-state solution. All right, let's continue. Cut, 12, go. I think Ben and Jerry's and Unilever are being characterized as boycotting Israel, uh, which is not the case at all. It's not boycotting Israel in any way. If you disagree with the Israeli government policy, why not just stop sales completely? Well, I disagree with the U.S. policy. We couldn't stop selling in the U.S. I think it's fine to... No, and by the way, they were asked about this. She said, we don't have that clip, but she did say, well, I mean, you sell in Texas and you don't agree with their position on abortion and you sell in Florida and you may not agree with their position on on the coronavirus, and you still sell into these states, how come? And neither of them can answer the question. Both were completely dumbfounded. Completely dumbfounded. Neither of them can answer the question. So why would they? If they're not going to sell into parts of Israel just called occupied territory because they disagree with the Israeli policy. Then why would they sell into Texas and so forth? Why would they sell into Florida? Why would they sell in other states? And their answer, after the fact, they came up with an answer and put it out, which was basically to the effect that, well, we need to sell throughout the United States. Oh, I see. So their morality is selective. It's selective. But they're part of the BDS movement, is what I would argue. They're part of the BDS movement. Settlements, they call them. Settlements. I, it, it, it amazes me that you have exactly the same people in this country that want an indigenous day rather than a Columbus day. And then you have Judea and Samaria. Judea. Really, an original homeland of the Jews. Judea. Judaism. Get it? And not the same view at all. It's unfortunate. I can't get Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, I'm sure, on this show to have a debate about this. Uh, I'm sure they wouldn't permit that, that sort of thing to go on. But it is remarkable. By the way, in Virginia, the Democrats are getting very, very nervous. They want to change the voting system. Uh, 
particularly in their largest county, Fairfax County. The, uh, let's see here. This is in the American Spectator by a great writer, David Catrone. He says, uh, what's herring, uh, wearing Virginia Democrats is the necessity of returning to normal election rules during a governor's race in which their candidate appears to be floundering. McAuliffe is a Clinton consigliere with decades of political experience and was a relatively popular governor of Virginia prior to being succeeded by fellow Democrat Ralph Northam. So they, they underestimated their opponent, Glenn Youngkin. Um, and uh, so what do they want to do? They want to go back to all the weaknesses that have been in the system, uh, and that is... Um, to go back to no comparison of signatures, additional voting systems. People are already voting in Virginia. They're already voting. In, it's crazy. Six weeks before an election, you can start voting. But people are, have already voted. They're already voting. And so this county, and they're not alone, wants to broaden the system, you know, so everybody can vote. This is why the Democrats endorse these pandemic voting systems. It's not a matter of everybody voting. It's a matter of creating a system that doesn't have the checks and balances that are necessary. And then you have individuals, Bushies, Cheneyites, rhinos, and other Trumpers, and of course Democrats in the media saying you can't prove fraud because they have legitimized fraud or they've made it impossible to prove it. That's why the Democrats keep pushing for this stuff. I'll be right back. By the way, I, I, I am remiss in failing to recognize and wish Elizabeth Warren a happy Indigenous Peoples Day yesterday. Uh, And I apologize for that. She's obviously the leading indigenous person, the indigenous uh, birthing person, may I say that, Mr. Producer, in the uh, United States Senate. Although I don't know if she's still a birthing person. Maybe Elizabeth Warren is a former indigenous birthing person. I think that, that would sort of cover the map there, I suspect. So anyway, we wish her all the best. Uh, We do know she used her deep background and family ties as indigenous peoples uh, to get her job at Harvard and other job advancements uh, over the course of her career. And the good people of Massachusetts uh, were so impressed with her indigenousness, may I say, that they uh, elected her to the Senate. And there you have her, elected to the Senate. And she's been contributing mightily ever since. Absolutely fantastic senator. Uh, If they had senators in Moscow, she'd be a fantastic senator. Here she truly does suck. All right, Terry McAuliffe, the old bagman for the Clintons. Here's a commercial that's running. It's a very good one because Terry McAuliffe has his eyes on the suburbs of Virginia. He wants to advance what Obama and Biden want to advance, which is to eliminate single-family housing in the suburbs, in the the outer burbs, in the state of Virginia. That's what he wants to do. 
And this ad points it out. Cut 14, go. Terry McAuliffe, chosen candidate of the media and tech giants, helping him hide from the people of Virginia. McAuliffe's plan? Override local zoning and force the construction of high-density, low-income housing projects in residential neighborhoods. Under the McAuliffe plan, federal bureaucrats would dictate to local towns and cities, cramming apartment complexes into single-family neighborhoods. This plan is opposed by the majority of blacks and Hispanics, once shut out of single-family neighborhoods, who now want the right to live in one. Young Americans who aspire to the American dream of a single-family home in a family-friendly neighborhood. And people now fleeing the crime and disorder of Democrat-run cities. Terry McAuliffe's threat to the suburbs is no exaggeration. The Biden-Pelosi-Schumer-McAuliffe plan is already underway. Newsom in California recently moved to abolish zoning. Former HUD Secretary Ben Carson warned against this ugly liberal power grab. A Clinton-era grifter, Wall Street money mover, pushing aside young leadership in his own party to help extremist climate liberals who hate the suburbs. The McAuliffe plan helps Wall Street barons gobble up suburban property and profit off of high-density housing. Terry McAuliffe made a corrupt political bargain with the extremist left wing of the Democratic Party, giving him the party nomination. He has allied himself with those who support destroying Virginia's suburbs, critical race theory, teaching ugly anti-American falsehoods to schoolchildren, defund the police, continuing the illegal immigration crisis and influx of MS-13 gangs in Northern Virginia, the persecution of Catholic religious orders, ACLU anti-religious extremism, and attacks on church tax deductions. Terry McAuliffe will never face these questions from the media who favor him. So ask Terry McAuliffe why he wants to use Virginia to pay off his extremist allies, destroy suburban neighborhoods, and destroy the American dream of a single-family home. Ask him about his ties to the extremist liberals, his big business allies, and Wall Street barons. Ask Terry McAuliffe if he understands the people of Virginia won't stand for it, that the extremists and their billionaire allies can't have America. They can't have Virginia. Paid for by Frontiers of Freedom to hell of an ad. And he does support the Obama-Biden war on the suburbs. And we've talked about that at great length on this program with Stanley Kurtz, as well as on Levin TV and my Fox show. This is a real event that's taking place. And they want to eliminate single-family housing. It's part of this whole notion of white-dominated society. And yet our suburbs are more diverse and integrated than ever before. The inner suburbs in most uh, areas are uh, 40% minority. In most uh, metropolitan areas, they're 40% minority. And there's significant minority in the suburbs around Washington, D.C., including and especially in northern Virginia, Fairfax County, Prince William County, Arlington County, Loudoun County, and so forth. So what McAuliffe and the Democrats want to do is prevent single-family housing. And essentially, they want to devour the suburbs and pull them into the metropolitan city. And uh, this is a serious issue, and it's true. And McAuliffe is all in on this. Now, McAuliffe was on CNN yesterday. Dana Bash was asking about critical race theory, and all he can do is lie about it, saying it's made up. Cut 15, go. The Washington Post talked to a number of voters, including one who previously backed Democrats, one who voted for you uh, in 2013, but now says, quote, Uh, now is switching over to the Republican Glenn Youngkin because he believes public schools are pushing a radical agenda in which American history is portrayed as racist and transgender kids are encouraged to use the bathroom of their choice. So you lost that voter. What do you say to him? I really hate to see what Glenn Youngkin is trying to do to Virginia, what Donald Trump did our country. All right, let's stop there. This guy is such a hack. What does Donald Trump have to do with any of this? And Glenn Youngkin isn't trying to do anything to create division. 
he's drawing attention to what's going on in our classrooms, which is this racist, fringe, insane ideology. Go ahead. The hatred. We're putting these children in this horrible position. Let's, let's just be clear. We don't teach critical race theory. This is a made-up, this is a Trump, Betsy DeVos, uh, Glenn Youngkin plan to divide people. And, and, and it really bothers me. He's a liar. He's a pathological serial liar. We all know it. The parents in Virginia saw it on their TVs, on their computer screens. Critical race theory is real. They're pushing it. And McAuliffe is bought and paid for by the teachers' union and the American Marxists. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I'll see you tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget Victor Davis Hansen's great book, The Dying Citizen. It's terrific. And, of course, American Marxism. See you tomorrow.